So if you will, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 12 as we continue our study in 1 Samuel. Today we're going to look at Samuel's farewell address to the people. It's not necessarily the last time we'll see Samuel, but his last interactions with them as their leader. And so I think it's important for us to see this as we've kind of followed his life through the course of this book. And again, we'll see like we're, we'll see how we are just like his people that he has dealt with throughout the course of this book. Before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer, ask for his help with the text. Lord Jesus, we pray as we come to this text that we would see you in it, that we would see the one who came to save us, who came to save his people from their sins, we, your people are here today to hear from you, from your word. Even here in 1 Samuel, we know that this story is about you and the redemption you would bring, the redemption you brought about through men like Samuel who were faithful, even when his people were wayward. And so we pray that you would convict us, your wayward people, of our sins as we come to your word, that you would help us with it, We struggle to understand. We attempt to twist it to our own gain. So, Lord, help us to come to your word with a clear mind, an open heart, to hear what you would say to us. Teach us about you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, as I read through this text this morning, not this morning, that'd be funny, this week, as I read through this text this week, I, uh, I was reminded of a story from when I was a teenager. You can imagine I wasn't the best of people. Um, I was probably actually around Jonah's age, about 14, 15. And uh, my mom dropped me off in the middle of a thunderstorm. Now, before you uh, call the authorities, my mom is actually a good lady, and I deserved it. Uh, I deserved much worse than that, actually. I don't remember the exact interaction that went on. Uh, but it involved my mom playing the part of a mother and playing, and me playing the part of an ungrateful smart aleck son, um, which was usually the case. I had actually perfected that role quite well in those years, 14 to 18 or so. It's a pretty awful person when I look back. I treated my siblings badly. One of them's here to attest to that. Um, I treated my parents, my mom particularly badly. I thought I was the most intelligent human being on the face of the earth. And everyone needed to know that. So on this particular day, my mom had had enough for whatever was going on. We were about two miles from home on a muddy gravel road in the middle of a thunderstorm. She probably asked me to do something, who knows, to stop doing something more likely. And I probably said something ridiculous to her and smart that I thought was cute. And she looked at me and she said this, and I'll never forget. This is the part I didn't forget. I love you but I don't like you at all. Get out of my car. You get to walk home. And I was a little stunned. Uh, But I could see that if I refused, I might have been attacked. So even though my mom is 5'2", 100 pounds, uh, she's no pushover, and she would have thrown me out of her car. And so I got out, and I walked home very slowly, taking in what had just happened to me takes a pretty ridiculous person 
pretty ridiculous person to take all the things that she had given me over the years and the love that she had shown me over the years and to throw them back at her in such ungratefulness. But that's what I had been doing. I walked in wet and cold and scared because I hate thunderstorms, or at least did at that point in my life. Probably went straight to my room. I don't know what I did. But I do remember very well that part being a shaping moment in my life. And it was at that moment that I realized that I had to start treating people differently. It isn't that I started doing it necessarily very well. I get better. But especially with my family. And so in our text today, the people are spoken to by Samuel, the old prophet, who is kind of giving their fair, or his farewell address to them. Remember, they had just elected a king, or not elected, God chose a king for them. Leadership was changing hands, Samuel to Saul, their new king. Samuel had some parting words for his people. And his parting words reminded me a lot of the story that I shared with you. The people before him were very much like my teenage self. And if I'm honest, a whole lot like my 38-year-old self. Our relationship with God can be very similar at times, I think, to my relationship with my mom when I was a teenager. We are ungrateful, smart-aleck people. and He is our loving God even though we think we know everything. And he would never give us up or lose us, ever, never. But he might decide to put us out of the car in the middle of a thunderstorm and tell us that he doesn't like us. And so in this text today, we're going to look at this idea with three main points, the prophet's witness and authority, the people's choice, and the Savior's promise. And so with that, let's stand together as we read from God's Word, 1 Samuel chapter 12 in its entirety. <coughs> 1 Samuel chapter 12, starting at verse 1. And Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have obeyed your voice in all that you have said to me and have made a king over you. And now behold, the king walks before you, and I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am, testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me, and I will restore you. And they, and they said, You have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and, ha and his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, He is witness. And Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness, who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought up your fathers out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt 
and made them dwell in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God. And he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the, into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them. And they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord, and we have served the Baals and the Asheroth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies, that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jerubbabel and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you lived in safety. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us, when the Lord your God was your king. And now behold the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and the hand of the Lord will be heavy against you and your king. Now therefore stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord, that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord, in asking for, your, asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that you that we may not die. For we have added to our sins this evil, to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have, you have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord your God will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it pleased the Lord to make a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great thing he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. So real quick, a review. Remember the people of God rejected the kingship of God, demanded a king from Saul or from Samuel, a human king. Their human king came to them in the form of this tall and handsome Saul, a farmer from Gibeah. Remember from last week, Saul's anger, he, he heard about this uh, Am- uh, Nahash, and his anger was kindled, and he went out and found this army, and he threatened Nahash. Remember, and he, uh, he gathered this army by force, and he routed Nahash, and the people carried him off the field, you know, kind of like after the football game, and they carried him off the field, and they officially inaugurated him as their king in this religious ceremony. And this was even Saul's one moment of glory, right? The one time that he kind of did the right thing, except for, you know, strong arming his people into getting an army. But other than that, he gave the Lord credit for the victory. 
and all the all of Israel kind of went away in this joy and rapture and parade, and it was fun. So now Samuel, his time as leader and judge of the people has come to an end. And so in this text, he's offering a farewell address, just like you'd expect from him. He doesn't pull any punches here. So with that, we'll see his witness, the prophet's witness and authority. And so first, in this passage, and at the beginning here of this chapter, we have him kind of presenting his credentials before the people. And notice they have no rebuttal. He reminds them of his authority before them. He reminds them of his reputation before them. He says, I've never defrauded you. I've never taken your animals away, which I think is is kind of funny because the king they had just got through threatening that he was going to kill all their oxen if he didn't... uh, he didn't, they didn't fight for him, so Samuel may be throwing a little jab at the king there, probably is. But to summarize his statements, he's basically saying, listen, I'm an old man, and I've been with you since I was a little boy, and I've always treated you with the utmost kindness and goodness. I have loved you as a people, and I have served you well. And I don't think anyone can look at the text that we've read so far, the first 12 chapters of this book, and say, no, Samuel was actually pretty cruddy. No, he was a good leader. He was really good. And so, I don't think Samuel's bragging here either, but just understand what's happening. He's establishing for himself a reputation, a credibility before these people, because what's he getting ready to do? He's getting ready to blast them a little bit. And so, the people even acknowledge, yeah, you're right. You've never taken anything from us. God is our witness. You've been, you've, you're, you've been good for us. I think this is probably a good word for us, just a little aside, that we should be careful who we, or who we speak hard words to, you know, out of love for them. Uh, if we don't really love the people, then we really probably shouldn't be speaking hard things to them. Uh, it's a, just a kind of a note there, a uh, note for myself and for nobody else. But Samuel was a good leader for his people. I think this is a good chance for us as the reader to reflect on Samuel's leadership as well, right? I mean, we have to be careful that the message doesn't become be like Samuel, but we could do a whole lot worse than Samuel. And he always led his people with courage and truth. He always seemed to li- and they always seemed to listen to his voice. Uh, they had a great deal of respect for him as a leader, which is much different than you can say for a lot of their future leaders, as we know their history. This is a fantastic, I think, testimony to the Lord's faithfulness. Remember, in answering Hannah, Samuel's mother, her prayer for a, for a son, and then Hannah's um, giving up that son for the Lord's work. Samuel started as a boy ministering in the temple. Remember, he had to deliver the bad news to Eli, the, the judge at the time, and about himself and his sons and how they died and how he kind of took over. And he led the people well from his youth. But Samuel's not the goal of the Christian life. But again, we could do a whole lot worse. He's a better leader than the people deserved. And the Lord blessed them under his leadership. I think that's important for us to note. And so that brings us to the next point, the people's choice. And so next, what does Samuel do? Well, after he establishes his credibility, he kind of leads the people through this recount 
of their history, kind of a short recount of their history. And it's kind of a sad history as you read through it, right? We're all familiar with these words of this quote. This is a more modern-day quote, that those who don't remember their history are doomed to repeat it. I mean, this is why we teach history in secular classrooms. We even want our secular leaders to remember their history, right? Uh, because we want to know where we came from, what we're about. But this is why history, even more so, is taught in seminary classrooms and should be taught in churches. Because there are parts of our church, the history of our church, not just Redeemer community, but the church proper, that we do not want to repeat the heresies and the bad things that went on and all, I mean, just, they're, they're out there. We don't want to repeat those. We need to know our history. And so Samuel here is doing that with his people. He's reminding them where they came from. Their history is kind of a sad one. And I love how he frames, how he kind of starts off their history as, now therefore stand, verse 7, that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. It's incredible. We say that often, you know, history is his story. Well, the his, history of Israel is the Lord's righteous deeds before them. And he starts in Egypt. And what happens in Egypt? The people cried out, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron to save them. And we'd love it if that was the end of the story, right? But what does it say? They forgot the Lord. And then he recounts the time of the judges, and he's sent all these ragtag rulers in. Remember Cicero, the one that got the tent peg driven through his head by the lady in the tent? You know, these ragtag people that came in and conquered Israel. And then the ragtag group of Leaders that the Lord would use to help them to save them. That's what the book of Judges is about. Just an interesting group of people saving Israel from a really interesting group of bad guys. But then what did they say after all of that colorful history? They said, let us have a king to reign over us. They were forget of the king. They forgot the king that they had reigning over them. They were an ungrateful Smart aleck people. Can you imagine one of your kids saying, can I have a new mom to reign over me? I mean, I probably would have said that to my mom. But that's what they're saying. Can we have a different Lord? We'd rather have one like us who's, who's ignorant. And that's kind of what they're asking for. And so the Lord gave it to him. And Saul, we're about to find out just how dumb he is. And so then Samuel pre presents them with this choice. Verse 14. He says, If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and your king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. Pretty simple. It will be well. How can we know what this means? I mean, we want, we're desperately wanting to know what it will be well will do, will do for us, right? We want to follow this formula. So it will be well. well. I think Jesus tells us a great parable of this. Turn with me to Matthew 25. And we'll be using this parable to 
kind of go along with this passage. <coughs> Matthew 25, starting at verse 14. This is a parable you've all heard before. This is it's called the parable of the talents. I think it has eternal implications, and so let's not take away from those. But I think it has also very right now types of implications as well. So we read, start reading at verse 14 through 23. For it will be like a man going on a journey who, who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, and to each according to his ability, and they went away. And he who received five talents went at once and traded with them, that he might make five talents more. So also he had two talents, made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent, went and dug it in the, in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled amounts with them. And he who had received five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents, and here I have made five talents more. <clears throat> his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. It is well, right? You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he who also said, he who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you have delivered to me two talents, and here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the house of your master. So let's consider this what we, with what the question that Samuel's just posed before the people. We have been given so much. Just think. Even here locally in our day and age, what we have as believers. Of course, we have the printed word of God in the hands of every believer. And if they don't have one, they can down one, download one on the thing that is in their hands, actually. Their, their phone. Download a free Bible. It's free to us. The words of our Creator. Not only that, we have the freedom to worship wherever we wish. I think we're proof of that, aren't we? In the American Legion this morning. We have leaders who are trained at great schools. We have leaders who aren't trained at these seminaries and are still great men of God. We have more training resources than we could ever use. We have great men of God who preach every Sunday and put so much media out there that we could never listen to it from Sunday to Sunday. We have so much available to us in our Christian lives to grow. Think of our Christian walk. Our obedience and our growth in the faith should be a relatively easy thing for us if you think about it. Sin and death, yes, they do exist. But the tools are there for our disposal, for us to work out our salvations as we are instructed to do. Our service, our obedience, our growth in the right fear of the Lord in this country have been made for us a road of plenty. And just like the people, they were given a great leader in Samuel, a history that should have taught them right from wrong, right? Or at least what wrong was. They should know better. They should choose to fear 
and to serve and obey. But we know what they did, right? They continued to not fear, to not serve, to not obey. And so what will we do? How will we use these awesome things that the Lord has given us? How will we respond to this provision that he has given us for our sanctification? If nothing else, brothers and sisters, we have this group gathered together for our sanctification. It should be enough. And so let us then respond in a right fear of the Lord. Service, obedience. Let us help one another to that end. Continue to meet together regularly as we do on Sundays, as we do throughout the week. To learn more, grow, to pray together, to break bread together. Continue in the ways that he has laid out before us. Even stepping that up to do more than that, that we might grow. We serve an inexhaustible God. And so let us work more and more, continuing to work out our salvation with fear of the Lord and with trembling, knowing that he will see our work one day and perhaps say to us, it is well. And again, please don't hear me saying this, that he loves us because we're good people, because you know full well that's not what I'm saying. He loves us, why? Because we're his. Because he chose us from the beginning of time. Because he sent his son to die for us. But it could be that we'll walk home in fewer thunderstorms the more we get to know him. And what is Samuel's second choice to his people? Turn back with me. Keep your finger there in Matthew 25. We've got to finish that story up. There's one guy we haven't talked about yet. If you do not fear, if you do not serve, if you do not obey, the hand of the Lord will be heavy against you. Can you think of anything that might be more heavy than that? Remember the time that we read about the Philistines and the hand of the Lord was heavy on them and they all broke out in tumors and had tons of mice and they were so enamored with those tumors that they made golden statues of those tumors and sent them back to Israel as, as a gift to say, please, please leave your God in Israel. Remember that heavy hand? Do we want the heavy hand of the Lord here with us? Well, look at Matthew chapter 25 again, starting at verse 24. Remember the guy who buried the one thing that the Lord gave him? Verse 24, He also, who had received one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But the master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I did not sow, and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have at least received what was in my own with my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten, for to everyone who has will be given will be given, and he who and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
And so again, this has eternal significance, sure. Show me a Christian who has taken the law of God, the word of God, the the ways of God, the things of God, the people of God, and has thrown them under the bus, then I'll show you an unbeliever. And he will go to this place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. But is that only his eternal destination? No. I think that's a right now thing as well. Show me someone who continually throws the goodness and mercy of God back in his face, and I'll show you a miserable and bitter person. We all know this person, right, from time to time. Sometimes it's the one in the mirror, right? Let's be honest. But continue to show this pattern without any repentance at all in your life. We're all, again, we're all this from time to time. But show this pattern with no repentance in your life, and you show yourself to be an unbeliever, not a child of God, but a child of the evil one. Anyone who takes the things that God has given us and doesn't use them to grow and doesn't see them as beneficial, but continues to seek out the things that destroy them. Who is that? I mean, it really flies in the face of this whole idea that we hear so often. Well, I got saved when I was six, but I really haven't lived it. If you really haven't lived it, you likely weren't saved. And that may be hard words, but it's the truth. And again, this is not a scare, a scare tactic, a plea for work salvation. I think you know me better than that. But this is a reminder that the people of God will make choices that look like the people of God. This doesn't mean they won't forget from time to time or even for portions of their life. We all have had those times, sometimes longer than others. But it does mean that their general trajectory will be one of fear. Of the Lord, fear of the Lord, servants, and obedience to Him. In this next section, Samuel demonstrates that power of the Lord. He says, He says to them, You know, is this not the harvest? Now therefore stand still and see the great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is this not the wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. He calls down a thunderstorm. And guess what? There comes a thunderstorm. This would have been difficult to harvest in, obviously. So why would he do that? Well, again, to show them the evil that they've done. To show them what the heavy hand of the Lord might look like. Did the people deserve this? Yes. But they deserve to die, actually. So this is really a bit of mercy. They didn't deserve to be taught a lesson. They deserved to die without excuse. But the Lord saw fit to give them this reminder of his authority and his place in their lives. My ungrateful, smart aleck self deserved to be kicked out of the family when I was growing up, but my mom just made me walk home in a thunderstorm, and she still calls me her own today. I deserve much less than that. And so there are times, brothers and sisters, when we will walk through trials in our lives, but just remember, we don't deserve to live. 
we deserve death because of our sin, yet we live and we experience the goodness and mercy of God. Thanks be to God for that. And again, I'm going to, and I'm, I'm not going to say when and where and why something like this would happen in our own lives, but I've known many Christians who have come out of hard times in their lives with a stronger faith than they have ever had before. And I think you'll see that here even. What? You'll notice the people here. What is their attitude after the storm? And that brings us to the Savior's promise. Verse 19, And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord that we may not die. For we have added to all of our sins this evil, to ask for ourselves a king. That one little thunderstorm straightened them up. They realized their sin. What a powerful turn of events in the lives of the people this is, because up to this time, they have not admitted the fact that asking for a king was a sinful thing. They had seen their quest for a king as a good thing. But the attack of Nahash, Saul's gathering this army by force, then routing the enemy, showing the power of this one man to bring together such a force, and now the thunderstorm. I think all of this is kind of coming together to squeeze a little bit of humility out of these people. They ask their former leader then to pray for them. Something that you know Samuel has done in the past. I even I love verse 23. Moreover, as far as be it for me, that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. For Samuel, it would have been a sin for him to stop praying for the people. This is what a good leader does for his people. And then verses 20 and 21, look what Samuel says to them. <clears throat> do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all of your, with all of your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. What is he calling them to do? He's calling them to repentance. Admitting you're a sinner is easy. That's right. That's easy. Yes, we, we messed up. But turning from those sins shows the real fruit of a changed heart. And then lastly, Samuel reminds them of their Savior, verse 22. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. The Lord will not forsake his people. This is the hope of the Israelites in this passage. This is the hope that we have today. And remember, our salvation doesn't rest on our ability to fear the Lord, to serve and obey him at all. Yes, those things are important, and they will and should follow our salvation. But our standing before God does not rest on that. What does it rest upon? Well, verse 22 tells us, his great namesake is why he has his people. For his good pleasure. He has set aside a people for himself, and we are those people. And we are continually his because he says it will be that way, not because sometimes I do good things. I am his because he says I am his. And so quickly in conclusion, brothers and sisters, fear the Lord. He has the power to stop the car and kick you out in the middle of a thunderstorm, and he might. It doesn't mean to be afraid, but to simply remember that he is your God, your creator. He's not your buddy. 
But also, what do we do? We serve and we obey. The one who sent his son, Jesus Christ, so our salvations could be had, could be made secure. What other response is there? What other response is there? Let us seek out the ways that we might serve him, to learn more and more from his law, that we might obey him. And lastly, let us rest. The work of the Christian faith is to believe in the one whom the Father has sent. These things don't save us. But we're going to mess up. We're going to look in the mirror and that's going to be the, the ungrateful smart aleck sometimes. The bitter person sometimes. Our Lord and Jesus, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did the work of our salvation. And so let us rest in him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Father, we thank you that you continue to pursue your people who are wayward, who are bitter, who would take the, the fine things that you've given us and toss them back at you and take the, the trash that we could find somewhere else. It makes no sense, but we continue to do that. Lord, write our hearts, fix our hearts, convict our hearts of sin that we might turn and follow you. Lord, help us in repentance. Lead us to yourself. Show us your truth continually. We thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your loving kindness to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.